Okay. You ready for part three? Oh, I'm ready. Are you? I th- well, now, now I'm second guessing. I don't, I I will. <laughs> Buckle up. You sent me something this week that I thought was perfect. For yes. Because your dad turned how old? 65. <sighs> the golden age of 65. Mm-hmm. And he got a card. Yes, he did. That About uh, what was happening in 1959 when he was born. And it's the front of the card is just like, what was going on that year? Yeah. yeah. And part of the card involved what things cost. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so applicable for what we're talking about now. Yes. And I, of course, I, 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 I snapped a photo of it and I sent it right to you. The thing that really made me send it to you was the average, the average income per year was $5,000. And making bank, making bank, and the average new house, the cost of a brand new house, was twelve thousand four hundred dollars. Yeah. So if you think about that, like essentially a house was like one, about two and a half yeah, times. Yeah, like the it's just nuts. The income, yeah. which would mean that, like, if today, if the media, if the average income was is what? What do they say? Sixty five. Yeah, about sixty five, seventy thousand, depending. Uh, on, if, but yeah, we'll say seventy. Seventy, and so that would be two hundred and thirty five thousand. Thirty five thousand dollar house would be what a brand new house should cost if it was strictly just going by inflation. Yes. In, in America, in, yep. Am- in America. And yet, uh, we all know it doesn't <laughs> even in the, like the lowest, the lowest sort of housing places. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. No, but yeah, it's really crazy. I was tickled because that's one of the biggest things of just like understanding how the economics of income and things worked. So mm-hmm. over time, so yeah, the the cost of a house went way up, and the price, the income. Oh so my gosh! Yeah. Hey everyone, and welcome to What's Up with Money, an ongoing conversation to help make sense of today's financial confusion. I'm Ryan, a writer and millennial who's asking the questions. I'm Ronald, philosopher and financial advisor who's giving the answers. From outdated 1980s financial advice to magic social media strategies, we aim to shine a light on what's really helpful, lessen financial anxiety, and better understand money. Thanks for joining our conversation as we ask, What's What's up up with money? Anyway, that leads us into what we're talking about today on our third part. That's right, not your fault. What are we? What are we calling this one? I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. No, that was just sort of a fun way of saying like, there's this. Oftentimes, there's like this idea that like, if you're not responsible for something, Mm -hmm. then you're absolved of all responsibility. Sure, it's the weird thing of like this stuff with finance. Of you know, we talked about how it's all been built on spend less than you make. And then you're like, yeah, but back in the day, a house used to only cost like two times my income. Mm-hmm. And now it's like a million times my income. Right. And I can't even qualify. Mm-hmm. And what do people do with the personal responsibility, mm-hmm. even though there's factors against them? Yeah. So, because usually people end up like in this weird thing of like, well, it's all your fault and none of those factors outside of you matter. And then you look at the other side and it's like, well, all these things are working against me. So what am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. 
And it's like, no, you got to try and bring both of those together, mm-hmm. which is not I always mean, easy. It's very hard. The cost of a house, especially a brand new house. Yeah. Ver- and versus like what you're making these days. It yeah. just seems astronomical. It, it, and, and trying to bring that together, trying to figure out, okay, what can I control? What can I do? Yeah. That can help me get the life I envision while I'm up against what the context of everything going on around yeah. me that yeah. I have no control over is, is doing. Well, and there's people posting on this now, like all over social media, which, you know, I'm always 50, 50 on like, it's either half funny or terrifying, like with social media. And people are posting like information about like, you basically need to have zero debt, $120,000 worth of income as an individual in order to qualify for a half million dollar house right now it's in crazy. today's market. And so if you live here in Los Angeles, you're like, well, there's nothing that's 500,000. Mm. And if you're in a place where you make 60,000, then there's no homes that are no. you know available, and then yeah. it's just a it's just a mess. We we went we recently went to a baby shower that was was at a house that was in an area that isn't in L.A. It's not. It's still it's 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 not it's nice, but it's not necessarily where, where it's it's not the go to place to move. Yeah, right. I never even thought about it, but we went in the area and Sydney was smitten by it. Okay. And so she, she looked up what the average cost of a house was. And it's like, you're looking at like $750,000 to $900,000 for a house in that area, which is like in LA, that's not bad, but it's still like $900,000, $750,000. It's still, it's not 500, you know, it's, it's, no, it's still, it's still a huge chunk of change. Yeah. And you better be making $150,000 to even qualify. Yeah. And then it's like, most people are like, well, what am I supposed to do? Like, exactly. Yeah. You know, I'm going to do my own thing. Like, screw it. Like the world's, the world's against me. I'm just going to not care. Yeah. I've really, I've, I've really kind of come to the mindset that I'm never going to own a home. <laughs> uh, and if I my- do, what a surprise. Good for me. I did it. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, eh, if I don't, I don't, you know? Yeah. And I mean, We'll have later in the year, we'll have a whole thing on real estate and owning homes. And, you know, economists sort of point to the fact that they are, in a sense, like 0% return things, like mm-hmm. as a primary residence. And so, but it, there's still an ethos of like, if you rent, ugh, if, you know, owning a home is still part of the American dream. Mm-hmm. So, but some of that's dying. But part of that is what we're talking about here of like it's not your fault like there's so many factors at play yeah interest rates inflation asset prices Mm -hmm. all of these things you have no control over Mm -mm. and yet you still have to operate in the environment so what do you do how do you take responsibility for your piece of the two by two yeah yeah and 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 make make sense of what this financial conundrum is you know i don't know ron yeah (laughs) it's a great question it's a great question it's because it's so it feels so untenable it feels so uh, you you know you're just kind of like looking up to the sky hoping for rain 
and it, and it's and it's none's coming. It's a drought. Yeah. Well, and I think this. So, like, I told you that, like, one of my fears is in this is like, and and what's so challenging is oftentimes people will leave things like just unattended. Like mm-hmm. they just won't even bother. Right. And like that's not good. <laughs> like, Such as like they won't really pay attention to like the rising cost of goods. They just kind of like mindlessly kind of move through things. Go through the, just keep buying groceries. And they keep buying the same things and then wonder where their money's going. And it's like, well, it's because everything's twice as expensive as it was a few years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't eat half the food you used to eat. Mm -hmm. And, and then people are like, I don't know what, I don't know what's going on. I don't have any left over. And yet everyone sort of says like, well, fix it, (laughs) like spend less so that you have stuff to save. And then that creates an expense problem, Mm -hmm. which I think is how most of the world operated in the past of having lavish expenses. And that's why your generation, you youngins, (laughs) get the bad rap for the avocado toast and the Starbucks (laughs) and, and, you know, and, and those types of things. And then people are like, well, we're not doing those things, mm. and I buy twelve avocado toasts a year. So that's a hundred bucks. Yeah, that is not, not changing my my situation. And so then it's like people are like, "But I'm trying to do and be responsible in the mm. expense side of things because I don't." And I probably am a of a positive financial mindset of being like, I don't think most people are trying on purpose to spend themselves into the abyss. <laughs> no, I mean, especially now, I think maybe, yeah. you know, like you said in, you know, the eighties, the credit card era. Yeah. It sort of, had, it sort of opened the floodgates of huge. spending, and spending, was, spending, spending. Yeah. So it made sense that these financial gurus suddenly come out of the woodwork and are like, maybe you shouldn't spend as much. Yeah. Maybe you don't have all this debt. And then, and then people are like, Oh, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I shouldn't spend so much. And so that yeah, kind of... because be- these credit cards are killing me. It's killing me. And so that they that kind of became the, you know, the tried and true advice that people were giving. Yeah. But now we're at an age where... And I, and I think it did... It might, it might have started with the millennial generation where we're not spending as much. We're really not, comparatively. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and you... you and I feel confident saying that because we're killing every business out there, you yeah. know, like, like, so, yeah. like, so I felt like from the moment I left high school every year, mm-hmm. I would hear about new businesses that millennials are killing. You know, they're, they're yeah. killing the diamond market because they're not, they're not getting married as much or they're they're and they're not buying rings or they're, they're killing the housing market because they're not looking for houses or they're killing this market. They're killing that market. Like, yeah, I think wine was on the list. Sure. Yeah. 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 Millennials don't generally drink wine. No, didn't care about yeah. wine. And yeah. so there's all these things that we weren't spending our money on and people getting mad about it. Yeah. But at the same time, we'll go to brunch every now and then and get avocado toast. <laughs> and people are like, what these guys, yeah, what yeah. are they doing? Yeah. It's, it's, it's such an unfortunate sort of like paradigm because everyone wants to blame expenses for people's personal financial situations. Mm-hmm. And I've met with, you know, 
countless people that like you kind of look at their budget and yeah, there might be like one or two things that you're like, well, tell me about the gym membership. Right. But you're also, then you do the math and be like, well, it's a $1,200 a year saving that and getting an 8% return will get you, you know, $300 a year in retirement income. So, like, <laughs> you know, like you kind of do it and then you're kind of like, well, it's not, that's not really the problem. Mm -hmm. And then like grocery budgets, like most people's grocery budget isn't going through the roof mm -mm. and restaurants have been hit really, really hard because of the pandemic and because people are not eating out in the same way. No, we, we like, we barely eat out. Like, well, it, I mean, part of that is because my, my fiance is an excellent cook and she yeah. loves to cook. And so she'll, she, we basically have our own little restaurant yeah. in the apartment. We only really go out for like in and out and sushi. That's the only there reason there you go. we go out to eat. Well, and you see like they're having to like chain restaurants are having to get creative. Like Applebee's released like this, like date, date night, night thing. Pass. Yeah. I heard about yeah. that, which is like, how sexy is that? It it's, it's wild. The things that they're trying to do to drive customers into their places because millennial, I mean, chain restaurants is one of the things millennials are killing because mm -hmm. <laughs> you guys don't want to eat at them because there's better food out there. I, I, well, but. I think, I think I may be, cause gr having grown up in the LA area, I think I may be privileged in this because I grew up with a, of a with a large variety of restaurants. Yeah. And then you go to somewhere a little more Midwest chain restaurants are like the vibe. Yeah. It's what people do. And yeah. so I understand like I'm, I might look at Applebee's and go, Ugh. yeah, but others are like, Oh, I love it because you know, it, yeah. it's, it, it, you know, maybe their Applebee's is actually really, really good. Whereas ours here by is comparison to by the, compar what's available to them. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I, I do think that even in chain restaurants, there are some that are better than others, depending on like, who works there in, in the area and stuff like that. So I have no doubt that there are some hop and Applebee's. Out oh there. yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, like I was at a, a California pizza kitchen the other night with my son mm -hmm. and like, it was the best CPK I have ever been to in Hollywood. It, it reminds me of like, so like the, the Walmart, we never really went to Walmart and part the few Walmarts I've been to are like really sad here in LA. <laughs> They're so sad. Yeah. They're so yep. sad. It's like, why would I want to shop here? Yep. No, but, but then, but, but I've had like, like my dad's from Ohio. So I've had my, my aunts come and they're like, oh man, all Walmart is awesome. And they'll tell yeah. me, they're like, it's nothing like this. Like, th like they'll yeah. be like, oh yeah, your Walmart is sad. Like ours is yeah. awesome. Ours is on the level of a target. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that Applebee's thing reminds me of also like with, I saw this, I think it was TikTok the other mm -hmm. day, but I think that the woman had a good point about like, like department stores, right? Like Sears closing down, Bed Bath & Beyond closing down, right? Macy's is still kind of holding on, right? But, but, but people aren't really going yeah. to those department stores like they used to. And this woman was like, these stores are going to have to start doing it like they did it back in the 50s, where mm. it was like an all-day event to go to the department store yeah, where yeah. there's like a cafe, there's a place for your kids to go. There's, yeah. it's like, it's like an experiment experience. People cater to you. Yeah. And whereas it be, you know, and it, it used to be that. And then over the decades, it kind of, you know, distilled down to 
what it is today. Yeah. And people just don't want to go there. But if it becomes like a destination to go, if you're looking to go hang out on a mm-hmm. Saturday, oh, let's go to Macy's and, and like try some stuff on and have like a coffee. And like, it's, if, yeah. you know, if, if it's more of an experience, then that'll drive customers back. Yeah. And I think you bring up an interesting point about experience because you guys get a bad rap about spending money on experience. We love our experiences. And I mean, I do too. I would rather spend money on experience and put it in a 401k. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you look at it and it's like, what else are you going to do? Yeah. And so that's where I think the expense side of things is, is this weird, this weird thing where you, I think your generation is going back in a way to that old, that old model of looking at like, we want to have a good time. Mm -hmm. Like, and for very different reasons, like in the fifties, it was like, we want to have a good time because we just went through the depression (laughs) and the, when world war two, yes. Like we'd like to do something different now. Mm -hmm. We'd like to have a little fun Mm -hmm. as opposed to supporting the war effort. Right. And having nothing. And and I think it's what made 1950 to 1980 so wild and great and why things, you know, had such rapid expansion and, and things like that. And then that expense side of things had like the worst time ever from 1980 to 2000 or 2010. Mm-hmm. And then you are a person like starts working in like 2010 mm-hmm. and are like, like these people like haven't like they went bonkers weird on like saving and having no life. You want to have some fun. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah. And then it's just this constant cycle of history repeating itself. Mm -hmm. But I've come to believe that most of the financial advice and the gurus and stuff like that, when they only focus on the expense side of things end up missing like one of the big problems, Mm. which I think is the fact that income hasn't, changed much but the cost of things has gone crazy yeah and i mean you know it's a huge and it's one of those problems that i feel like is 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 really delicate to solve because it kind of becomes a snake eating its tail yeah yeah it is yeah the you you know you raise the wages there for and to compensate for lack for the what is it revenue you up the prices which cause everyone needs higher wages and and so it's, I don't think it, it, it might not necessarily need to be that. I think that there's some greed being, yeah, you know, and there. The, but. And then, and part of that's just, you know, how the shifts in our economy, the shifts in corporate stuff and, and just the ways people try and make money and who they're making money for mm-hmm. is a big thing. But I think one of the things I've become convinced of is that because we've had this overemphasis on expenses, we've lost sight of potentially one of the biggest problems, which is trying to get control of your income, mm. which is something I don't think most people have thought about No, in terms of personal responsibility. I've never, well, as, a, as someone who freelances, yes, that is something I think mm-hmm. about. But it, I didn't think about it until I started really freelancing. I think if you're someone who has a W two job, yeah, and it's in one and just one of one W two job. I think you think of your the only control you have is when it's time to negotiate at the end of the year for your paying for your paying increase. Yeah. Can yeah. I you know can I bump it above five percent? 
Yeah. You know, or the alternative would be getting a new job because that's also a common thing now. Yeah. Yeah. Job, you know, job hopping, because when you go to a different company, you can, they don't know how much you're making. So you can possibly get like a 20%, yeah. 50% yeah. salary increase yeah. by going to a new employer. Doing but if you're making thing. 60 and you look on Indeed and it's like, hey, this place will pay me 70 for the same thing, I'm, t- I'm probably going to apply, you know? Yes. And then if you can get it, great. Like you just you just had a bump. Right. Way more than you could get at your current place. 100%. But, but that's really the only sense of control you have. Other than that, like caps are set. You know, employers mm-hmm. can, will only pay you so much. Yeah. And I think there's the, you know, there's that feeling of like your boss sets what you can make. Yeah. And I think that, I think that became big, like in that 1980 to 2010 timeframe mm. where like wages essentially became flat for most W2 workers. And then people were like, well, I guess this is just what is. And then the cost of things, because if you compare production with, you know, what, what we were doing as workers, like it just went through the roof. And so then it's like, okay, everything's going up around me and I'm trying to do the golden rule of spending less than I make, but my income isn't rising. Yeah. And so what, do I do? And it's hard because th- that's also, I think, around when the, that that toxic mindset of like, well, you should be, if you know, if you want you want more money, you should be lucky that, you know, you should feel lucky that you have this job. Yeah. And yeah. then you start feeling, you know, there's that feeling of like, oh, am I, am I being greedy for asking for more money? Yeah. And so it's kind of, it, it becomes very much a faux pas to talk about money mm-hmm. because you don't want to give that off and you don't want, you know, you don't want to, you know, rock the boat and think you're, you're you know, that your employer you know, that is the, that you're ungrateful. You're not a team player or what, what have you. Yeah. You know, so there was, there's the, it be, there became this attitude of, you know, just do your work, do your job and, you know, we'll see what we can give you Mm -hmm. next year. Yeah. You know, and, and then you realize like, Oh, inflation was 8%. My raise (laughs) was three. I lost five. I lost 5%. And, and I think that that I think is one of the things that I'm hopeful for with like people like you that are younger, that are starting to understand that they need to take control of their income mm-hmm. and responsibility for their income. Mm-hmm. And that plays itself out in so many different ways. But I think this is where like the personal responsibility side of things is so important in looking at it's not your fault. Like you're playing a game like a financial game Mm -hmm. and you're in an economy. And if you don't leverage everything that's available to you, you will get behind. Right. (laughs) Like, and it's not saving. That's the problem. And it's not expenses that are the problem, which I know many advisors and gurus would slap me, you know, for saying that, but it really, like, I think we've come to a spot where expenses were the problem in those 30 years from 80 to 2010. Mm Mm-hmm. And the new problem is income 100%, and people deciding to sort of try and find new ways to make income. Definitely. And, and, you know, that's not to say that there aren't people who, whose problem is expenses. Like I'm I'm sure there are people who, who spend, spend too much, but, 
they're they're everywhere. They're but. everywhere. But by and large, at least you know, with all the friends I talk about, because I I have friends who make you know, very good money, mm-hmm. and they are they're also struggling. You yeah, know, they're, they're scratching their head, trying scratching to scratching their head, what? trying to figure it out. Yeah, and what's going on? And um, like uh, like I have a buddy who makes good money. They're expecting a kid. They wanted to buy a house, but they're like, we can't. Yeah. They were like, I don't know what I'm going to do with all this money. We were saving for a house. I have all this money, but like we can't buy a house right now. Yeah. It's just not, it's not, it's, it's not possible. And it's when, when people are making good money and still can't buy a house, it's kind of like, well then yeah. What, what, what does good money even mean now? Yeah. What is it? Yeah. It changed. They need to make more money. They need to make more money. All right, taking a break. Love our breaks. Love our breaks. This is a book break. Book break. As they usually are. Again, so far, we're 100% on our breaks being book breaks. They're all book breaks. We got a book. We just call them the book break. This is the book break. Go. There we go. Look at that. To Way talk about. Than the What's Up With Money book club. <laughs> I love the What's Up With Money book club. We've been talking about this series about collections of books we read last year. Yep. We want to talk about, we want to talk about now the life insurance books. Yeah, I mean, life insurance is such the weirdest financial vehicle. Like, it's it is bizarre. polarizing. You've got the people on one side that are like, it's the worst. You have other people that are like, it's the best. Well, so how do you make sense of, like, these two competing mm-hmm. narratives around it? Some people are like, it's the only thing you should do. Other people are like, you shouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Mm-hmm. So I thought it'd be fun just to sort of recommend a couple of books about life insurance that you should read and begin to sort of understand it for yourself. Mm -hmm. And then as always, like talk to a professional that's really good at what these particular books talk about, because it's the idea that like all life insurance. And when we say life insurance, we're talking primarily about permanent life insurance, not Mm -hmm. term. Mm -hmm. So most of the backlash is around permanent and so understanding how it works and that it's not all created equal. No. At all. I mean, we did a whole series on yep. life insurance, so you can listen back on, on that if you want to hear us talk about the nitty gritty. Yeah. And for those that love it, read these books so that you understand it better, what you're seeing on TikTok and things like that, so mm-hmm. you can understand what it takes for it to actually be a, a valuable financial vehicle. And for those of you that hate it. Still read it. Still read it. So and understand can, why we like it. Yeah. And understand why there's the disparity between the people that hate it and, and love it and know what you're getting mm-hmm. and then think about it and see if it makes sense as opposed to just generically saying, oh, it's the best. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah. So so what are the books that you want to? So the recommend? one we recommended last year was Money, Wealth, Life Insurance, mm-hmm. which was a good one. It's a shorty. It's probably the shortest read. And, and it's kind of, it's, it's basic in some sense and it gives you sort of the overview. Yep. We also recommended become your own banker, which is the most dense and boring. I actually have not read that one. Yeah. It might be worse than our article that we recommended. (laughs) Like, or like the. Written by the economist. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like the Holy grail and it's sort of the origins of the whole idea of what you see on TikTok of like bank on life insurance and be your own banker but it's be your own banker by 
uh, by good old Mr. Nash. And it is by far the most thorough and sort of, I would say, the origin story of, in popular context, even though it was written a while ago, of popularizing how people have used it, Mm -hmm. why it works, and what the mechanics are. And it also has the wild thing of like thinking about putting your entire paycheck into a permanent life insurance policy. And crazy. so, and I think that one, that one by far is the most thorough. Another one is the and asset. Yes. The and asset is a, I would say it's probably in my opinion, the most like popularized sort of sure. version. It's, it's very digestible. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's not as short as money, wealth, life insurance. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a decent read, but you could probably read it in a couple of days. It's not that bad. Yeah. It, it's not, it's not dense like the mm. other one, mm. but it, it's not as light as money, wealth, life right. insurance. And, and, and yeah, that was that one, that one I did read and that one was, it just kind of like goes over, I think the basics of kind of how to use it as, as a bank. It's probably, in my opinion, the most like layman's terms, <laughs> like yeah. how to explain how, like what life insurance on the permanent site is, mm-hmm. its features, how people use it in a way that makes sense. Yeah. Because it, like, if you meet with, like, if you met with me and we geeked out over whole life insurance, like you might scratch your head and be like, I didn't understand half of what you said. This sure. makes no sense to me. And I think that book definitely helped me early on in my financial career to kind of like, okay, how, how do we explain this right. and its and its features in a way that people can actually understand? Yeah. So, cause it is a very technical product, which I think is what gets people hung up on whether it's good or bad. Mm-hmm. And then also there's ways to use it that just makes it terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I describe it as like, whole, you know, whole life insurance, which is the primary permanent insurance is like trying to use a hammer to paint a wall. <laughs> like like <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it sucks. <laughs> like, and so people are like, but this wall looks terrible. And it's like, yeah, but it's cause you're painting with a hammer. Yeah. And, and so, but when you use it as a hammer, it's amazing it's as fantastic. a hammer. Oh yeah. yeah. And so I think that's like like that's the dilemma of people trying to figure out how it fits and what it what it does. Okay. So And then the third one. This one I yeah, so I don't know that I recommend becoming your own banker to anybody. Like I've given it to people that are professionals and they're like, I didn't get it. Uh yeah. So that will be it's that a will freebie. be that will be yeah, just a freebie. But the third one is is understanding how people utilize this for generational wealth mm-hmm. and how it makes sense is what would the Rockefellers do? We recommended Gunderson's book. Yes. You know, killing Gunderson. Sa- yeah, yeah. Killing yeah. Sacred Cows. And he wrote this book about the Rockefeller. It's known as yep. the Rockefeller method. This which- one I also, this one I did read and this one really does contextualize what, like what a life insurance policy can do in terms of, like future gen- your future generation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I and I believe it to be a critical piece to changing generational financial patterns mm-hmm. as well as creating something that actually makes generational financial change 
in our current context. Yeah. It's really interesting because he compares the Rockefellers to the Vanderbilts and the Vanderbilts, yeah. you know, at, 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 you know, at the, they were, I think the Vanderbilts were even possibly wealthier than the Rockefellers yeah. in the heyday. And then two generations, Vanderbilts yep. squandered it all. And they got a cool university. They do have a cool university. And, and the Rockefellers have a square with a Christmas tree. That's right. Yep. That's right. They do. And they're still, I think, one of the wealthiest families yep. in the country. Yeah. And it gets into, there's parts of it that are a bit technical, financial, because mm-hmm. it's a combination of using trust and life insurance. Yes. Which sometimes for most people can be like, oh, wait, now how does this work? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm confused. Yeah. But when you look at it over the course of time, you realize that permanent life insurance can be one of the best vehicles for creating generational financial change. And it, I'll be honest, it's something that I'm using within my own family, Mm. with my own children, Mm -hmm. because I believe that it will be easier financially to save in a way, in this way, and create millions of dollars for my kids yeah. than any other method. So it's not a single method. Like it's not, if you just do these step by steps, it yes. completely changes your financial things, but it, it's a thing right. in regards to legacy and how oftentimes, and people think of it, it's like, Oh, that's just a wealthy person thing. It's like, no, this actually can be done by regular folks like yeah, us. I do, I do think, I think that's one of the real, real eye-opening things that it's very, it's, it's, it's surprisingly accessible. Yeah. And, and when you start running the math on, especially in, like, cause legacy, I think has been one of the things that has been missing in our current financial context because it's been so individualistic yep. for so long of thinking like, I asked the question of like, I got three kids. It's like, okay, how do I, what's the most efficient way to leave each of them a million dollars. There is nothing on the planet in my view. And I, I battle anyone on this that can do it more efficiently than a life insurance policy. A home costs way, way more money to leave behind. Mm -hmm. And that home has to appreciate to a $3 million value Mm -hmm. to get, divided by three yeah and then they have to sell it and take the taxes and all that stuff and to do that via permanent life insurance with that as the end goal like it just makes sense and then it also when you read the book you understand like oh (laughs) like this is it's not a secret but it's not advertised of the way wealthy families position wealth in a way that allows it to transfer generation to generation outside the tax system. Yep. And then with the intention of buying more life insurance so they can have more money, mm-hmm. like it's this weird exponentially increasing money situation that it's why it is crazy. Yeah. When you, when you get into the weeds of it, it's you, yeah. you, you, you definitely need someone to help you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then you need, you know that you need like the right trust system and the right yeah. life insurance partner yeah. and not, and it's where you realize, okay, not all life insurance is created equal. Mm-hmm. He's got a great chapter in that book about the things to look for in yes. a policy. And I, so does, I mean, so does b- both all the books do. Yeah. 
the end asset does mm-hmm. money worth life insurance like well uh, yeah yeah money worth life insurance does they they all talk about the types of companies you should look for yeah the you know who you, you know the type of agent you should be looking yeah. for but yeah but but gunderson does a great job of, of showing like what how he sets his up why he sets his up yeah. in a certain way and regardless of like I, I don't know if he talks about the actual like like the, the the finances of it but regardless of that it's it's just good to know yeah it's just good to see how people yeah. use it yeah like money wealth life insurance kind of is like hey wealthy people do this you should too yeah <laughs> but think about it and asset kind of is like hey here are the features and then gunderson i feel like is much more like a step-by-step ish of like like i think i could make a checklist out of gunderson's sure. book of like I'm looking for these nine things yep. in the person I'm meeting with and the company I'm contracting with. Yeah. So, but I know life insurance is one of those things, especially because of all of the, the TikTok and Instagram, like it's, it's like had a resurgence mm-hmm. since the pandemic where it used to just be like, well, this person says it's bad, Yeah, yeah. but it's had like this new life. But, you well, gotta, I think you that's because the right resources. I think that's because some of those people are selling life insurance. What? No, no way. Yeah, they're, uh, they're trying to boil it down to like a thirty-second, like, do this and it's amazing. Yeah, and it's like, well, and they're all, I think, selling VULs too. IULs. Oh, IULs. Excuse me. They're all selling IULs. Yeah. No. Which is we've you know listen to our podcast about that and you'll understand how we feel. But but those are those are some great reads. Great. Yep read recommendations read one of them read all of them um if you want extra credit read be your own banker (laughs) if you want your brain to hurt yeah yeah so Uh, but yeah we'll have some more some more sort of like hey some things you should check out in 2024 there we go next time and now on with the show one of the things that i found with people my age which i'm old is they are so stuck in a W-2 mindset that my job is the only place I can make money. Mm-hmm. And if it's not Monday through Friday, nine to five, I can't make money outside of that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, but that's not going to work. Like you have to, you have to think differently in order to survive. Mm-hmm. You either have to think of a new business or something else to do go into business for yourself, but you got to do something to get yourself from a hundred to 200,000 yeah. of income and, you know, starting a side gig, you know, looking at like, like we sold our first, so we started a basketball and baseball card selling business. There you go. And it's like, we sold our first one, Ooh. like 140 bucks. Oh, wow. It was like, otherwise it was just sitting in my desk. Yeah. And it's like, that you have to start being creative in this economy in order to get ahead Mm -hmm. and doing it the way it's always been done is being mindless. Yeah. But you know, the, but with the baseball cards, it's, you know, you only have so many baseball cards. It's like at some point, I mean, I've told you like behind me cause we're filming or we're filming. We're, we're re- <laughs> yeah, there's there there is a film of this happening right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the recording of this is happening live at my house. It's true, 
in a live environment where my son is trying to cook his macaroni and cheese and making racket with his pots and pans. Beautiful ambient noise. Yep. So it's a little background noise of just slamming the cupboards <laughs> and things. Uh, but behind me, I probably like estimate, like I've got a hundred thousand dollars worth of. Oh, that's great. Sports cards there you go. behind me, but I need to sell them. You need to sell them. I need to exchange them for money. Yeah. Otherwise, they're just little little pieces of cardboard, mm-hmm. like that have been carefully taken care of, you know, yeah. for thirty years. I but, yeah, I have I have a similar. I have uh, these pop dolls from when I worked at from different uh, when I, I used to work at a talk show and uh, as a PA, and so we got these these pop dolls, and I never thought of selling them until recently, and then I looked it up, and I'm like looked on eBay, and I was like, ah. Oh, how are these? How are hey, these? Get just for some cash. Maybe I should yep. Uh, yep. sell this. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's where that's where we're at. Where people have to be more creative and take control of their income earning, because I think people have have learned to sort of figure out like I got I can't spend what I don't have, mm-hmm. and to continue to beat that drum of like, well, spend less, spend less, spend less doesn't make sense unless your income changes because everything around you gets more and more and more expensive. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think we've got a new problem, which is income. And so, you know, the paradigm just has shifted in such a way that that has to be the thing that you think about controlling. But, but again, it's like, how, how do you control it long term? Because pop dolls and, baseball cards no matter how much yeah, they yeah no matter how much they worth that does run out you, you it does yeah and so then you get like okay what next yeah it's my next thing that i'm going to be able to do so that's the only thing with side hustles is that at some point it's going to run out yeah the well is going to run dry yeah and it's like okay and i think that's why people look at there's still that mindset of like w2 jobs because that job is in theory you know, it goes on in perpetuity until you either are fired or you yeah. retire, you quit. And so there's longevity there. Yeah. And, and, that, and I think that becomes people's base for covering their basics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, the, and then if they're not thinking, because like I've talked to a bunch of people my age or like that are a couple of years older and been like, your only solution is to make more money. And they're like, but I have a job. <laughs> and it's like... I get it. Like that's not going to work yeah, for the rest of your life. Like to just keep doing that same model that used to work, mm-hmm. it just doesn't anymore. No. And like even people that are doing fairly well, you can look at it and be like, you're basically in a spot where you can barely maintain for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Like even saving a bunch of money yeah. and it just, it just creates a problem. But if people don't start thinking about both sides of that equation of expenses, yes, spending less than you make, but also you got to radically increase the amount that's coming in. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't, it just doesn't end well. Mm -hmm. Like it's still not a thing of going like, Oh, just spend less than I make and that'll solve the problem. Mm -hmm. It just, the rising cost of things that have nothing to do with anything you're doing work against you and so you got to create margin the other way you Mm got to you got to find ways either through side hustles or figuring out how to get paid for the things that you're good at 
yeah. or being in a place where you might have control of how much you can earn. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of different ways to do it. But I think most people are fixated in like, I earn money nine to five at my W2 job. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think that time. Has it's passed. also, I think the energy that gets put into, cause like you said, people, the nine to five, is like it, is like I put in all this energy during these yeah. hours, and then oh, yeah. you're telling me that like on the weekends I have to do more work, or, yeah, or five to eight p.m. I have to like figure out something else to do. Yeah, like, yeah. And yeah. so it's like you know, and if you're if you're a parent with kids, you have a family, like you don't want to take time away from them. Mm-hmm. Slash, you probably have a very busy schedule yeah. already. Yeah. And so I think it's also it's it's just tough to figure out what that extra pool of money, like what, what, what that looks like, where that yeah. comes from. Yeah. You, you know, aside from just asking your boss for yeah. a $300,000 raise. <laughs> hey, if you can get that, go for it. Hey, do it. Yeah. Well, I think there's these two sides of the equation that like one is depressing to think about like, oh, I got to do more stuff to make it. Mm-hmm. I think there's this other side that I, I believe is liberating and part of like a future that is much better of like human creativity, human ingenuity, Mm -hmm. these sorts of things that like, what are you good at? Like you love to write Mm -hmm. and you want to do that. So focusing in on those passions in addition to the other things you're doing to earn income I think have a way of translating work from, you know, the grind mm-hmm. into, I don't want to say passion because I think that's overdone of like, just do what you're passionate about, but into things that I think can be more fulfilling and be well, an expression doing, of doing like what you're good thing. at. I've actually, yeah. there's been a lot of success stories I've seen on like Instagram or TikTok of, it happened a lot during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Because people had a lot of time on their hands, you're working out, you're working from home, yeah. yeah. And a lot of people started like little businesses, making stickers or mm-hmm. making some type of product, yeah. Making sweaters, I've seen people make clothing, and it they or or mugs like mm-hmm. pottery stuff yeah. like that, and they blow up, yeah. And and soon and then they 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 have all these orders or like I saw candles like one woman made candles like all these orders yeah. suddenly come on in and, and they're able to you know their apartments full of boxes to ship yeah and it's like oh man like you you hit some type of gold mine here and you were able to and that's a way to control yeah and you know. and I think our current context sort of places that at the forefront like the context we talked about at the beginning of like the birthday card of like, mm-hmm. you know, your dad was a totally different context where like none of that was even in people's framework mm-hmm. of side hustles, you know, like, no. and now it's like, you know, it's like you can, if you're good at it, you can be Mr. Beast and make videos yeah. of, and, and make tons of money. And it's like, reading the dictionary or like counting to a million. And then people are like, Oh, this is kind of fun. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, that guy's it's, crazy. It's like, yeah, he might be an anomaly, but there's still like a code to it. And something that like, 
He definitely tapped into something. He did. He did. And and he he leveraged it and 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 did what it was supposed to do and set a completely different path than maybe he was anticipating or things like that. And this is not to say that everyone's going to be Mr. Beast, but there's there's something there of like thinking creatively, thinking about things differently. Yeah. Thinking outside the box. That and thinking in a way that matches our current context that can be very helpful financially. That if you don't take control and think about it, it could end up very bad yeah. for you. Yeah. And I think that's what we're seeing it with a lot of people. And then we're also seeing the other side of a lot of people that are like, hey, we're not living in 1990 anymore. Like, let's do things the way that makes sense for income earning today mm-hmm. in, in the 2020s. So, yeah. And those that do and, and sort of, you know, maybe there's some of that, that like when you shrug off, shrug off like W2 job and put on entrepreneurial ship mm-hmm. and then go for it. Like our country has continued to reward that. Oh yes. It's, throughout it's, history. I mean, cause it's, it's, it's a gamble. You're gambling on yourself and yep. your idea and whatever it is that you yep. have. But all the biggest success stories are people who went on an entrepreneurial. We've talked about a few of them, Disney and Ray Kroc and these people who just kind of had this idea mm-hmm. and were like, yep. let's, let's go for it. Yeah. And then if you build something that's good that people want, our economy rewards that. I mean, look at so, Amazon. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's its whole, you know, Amazon, Apple, all those Talk things. Talk about Beast. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously. So, but I think that that all kind of comes back to like the central theme of this episode of like, yes, you have to control your expenses. And in general, it's best not to spend more than you make. So you have something left over, Mm -hmm. but it's not always the case. Mm -hmm. And then more of the case is how do you generate, how do you think about your income differently and go, how do I generate more? Well, it's also, it's kind of one of those, you know, I, I think I mentioned it on a previous episode, that idea of like having, you know, that one thing that you splurge on. Yeah. You know, I think I said it was like, like a massage, right? Yeah. Like you have, and, and, and someone like there'd be gurus who'd be like, nope, you got to cut it. You got to cut the massage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh, but that's like the one, it's the one thing I allow myself. Yeah. And well, the other option, if you don't want to cut that, but you still need to, you still need more money to, to, to make more money. So it's like, okay, how do I keep my massage? What yeah. do I got to do yeah. to keep that going? And I, I think a lot of people, the younger people that like their avocado toast, have, Love it. have been asking that question. Like, instead of how do I spend less, they've sort of traded that for how do I make more? Yeah, how do I live the life I want to live yep. without... Without too much sacrifice. Yeah, and those are two very different, like we've talked about in other episodes, like the scarcity mindset. Like the scarcity mindset says, how do I spend less? Mm-hmm. The abundance mindset in general looks at it and goes, how do I make more? What's yeah. available to me? What would be fun? Mm-hmm. What would be creative? What am I good at? What mm-hmm. What am I interested in? Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there's part of me that's like, I think that's way better for people in society than... It's a better, way better mindset. Yeah. Way better outlook. Yeah. And... Yeah. Because that, that, that says, okay, I already have... Like, the opposite of scarcity is also to look at what you have and be like, okay, this is what I have. Wow, look at all that yeah. I have. Yeah. Okay, but I need a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So, like, what can I do? 
Yeah. Is there, where else can I go? Yeah. And a lot of people like, will just go like whatever I get paid is all there is. Mm-hmm. And that just like, oh, it just kills me. It pains me because it's like, that's not it. Like, but for people my age, that's how we learned. And then yeah. I think, luckily, I think younger people are being like, that's not it. Like, there's yeah. so many other things. We're seeing on TikTok people making millions of dollars through this and that and the other thing. Let's explore. Mm-hmm. Let's let's see. Let's let's take a let's take a peek. So, I mean, I definitely think we're in a big shift between the old mentality of going like it's just you spending less than you make to now where it's like no, I need to make more. Yeah. In order to keep up and get ahead, which I think is way. I like that mentality way more than <laughs> mm-hmm. well, I'm stuck. <laughs> like, yeah, this yeah, is it, yeah. you know? So, and unfortunately too, we also have the other side of everything is getting more expensive. Yeah. So you almost are forced into that or else. It's so. true. You also have the extreme side of people doing things to like, Buying dead people's homes, <laughs> where you're like, oh well, my gosh. Oh maybe my gosh. not yeah. everything. Yeah, let's maybe let's let maybe there are some things we, you know, we don't have to do that to try and yeah. make more money. Yeah. like let's be let's let's think for a hot second. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But anyway, I think that kind of covers just sort of like what it takes when you think about the personal responsibility side of your context mm-hmm. and income and expenses and income doesn't in my opinion doesn't get as much attention as it should well it is now it is now yeah, yeah. because of this going out to the masses that's right so that's that's a, my penny for my thoughts that's your penny for like, thoughts yeah just really think about how you can make more money outside maybe of your w2 man it's easier said than done it is it is but it might unlock creativity ingenuity yeah excitement mm-hmm. you most people might find that they like earning money outside their w2 way better than their w2 <laughs> you know yeah uh but the sky the sky really is the limit and i think within our current context in america in los angeles like people are very excited about supporting local like mm-hmm creative things and i i think creativity doesn't have to be art or writing no no it doesn't and so think about like what do you like to do what are what are you good at what do you what's within your wheelhouse like i think that is a much better human experience than just being in a box or a literal cubicle that I that I think is really interesting to think about in terms of what is possible. Yeah. And I mean creativity is like how Ford had the assembly line. That's creativity. Oh yeah. The way Ray yeah. Kroc situated McDonald's so that the burgers could be made fast and efficient in that in that drive-through line. Like yeah. how he designed that. Like that's creativity. You know, that's what creativity looks like outside of the arts. Yeah. And I, and I think people don't see it as creativity. It's kind of more like problem solving, I guess, yeah. maybe. But problem solving is creativity, just in a different, just with a different side of your brain. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's something that the income side of things has to be given its due. And people have to start thinking about how they can increase their income outside of their job. Or else I don't think the current situation works yep. well. <laughs> 
not in your favor. And so. yeah, and talk to your employer about that raise. Yeah, get a raise. Do the math. Go get L- it. Look at look at inflation and be yeah. like, boom, this is what I deserve. Yep, and this is what I should get. Yeah, and if you were to hire someone new, you would pay them more. Yeah, so. they can always pay you more. Always, always, always. Yeah. All right. Well, next time. Oh yeah, I was gonna ask. Next time we're gonna put a nice fancy bow Ooh. on all of this. It's not your fault. A sparkly bow. Yep. Okay. Is it? Well, we got. It's. it's gonna be a surprise it is don't know even i don't know we're gonna wrap it all together nice thanks for listening to what's up with money we'll continue our conversation in the next episode but until then please subscribe to rate and review the show giving a rating or review helps other people find the show so if you like what you're hearing and you want others to hear it too please give us a rating share us on social media or both Reviews are also where you can leave us questions. So if you have any financial questions for us, please leave them in the review. We may answer it on the show. We love questions. We'll be back next week to continue our conversation and hopefully get a little bit closer to answering the age-old question, What's What's up up with money? My salary seems to be getting smaller and my family's appetite seems to be getting bigger. But luckily, Ponderosa's doing something about it. Because now, Ponderosa has two delicious complete dinners for just $2.29. This tasty beef dinner, a tender fish filet dinner. With unlimited fresh salad, baked potato, roll and butter, only $2.29 each. $2.29.19. And now oh get $6 worth of Ponderosa gift certificates for only $5. Ponderosa. <laughs> my salary seems uh, to be... All right. So that's amazing. We talk a lot about context and these videos just are crazy. Like it doesn't make sense. Like, so you can get $6 of gift certificates for For $5 and you can use those $6 to get two full meals that had like a steak, fish filet, baked potato, all the, all the sides. What was it? 229? Is that what they said? 229. Yeah. Like we're like, what in the world? Amazing. Which made me think of like what you sent me about like your dad of like when he was born, like the cost of things. But it's just like, we do not live in that world. You can't even get, I don't know if there's anything at Taco Bell that is that cheap anymore. Like I just saw an ad because like we love Taco Bell. It's my favorite restaurant in the world. Great. And the kids love it. But it's like their old like value menu is now $3 items. You're like, yeah, it's Taco Bell. Yeah. Like, like how in the world did we go from like Ponderosa Steakhouse, which I don't know if you had one or if I've ever been to one, but no. it was like, this was a restaurant serving like a full meal, like steak mm-hmm. and a baked potato for three bucks. Yeah. And I was like, I can't get a soft taco at Taco Bell for three bucks. I know the dollar menu isn't really a dollar menu anymore. No, there's no such thing. No such thing as no, a dollar menu. No, no. If there is, it's why it's called the value menu now. Yeah, it's like dollar menu is like, oh, do you want a packet of ketchup with it? (laughs) Like, like, we're going to charge you for that sweet and sour sauce or something like that. But this was one that I was just like, oh my gosh, thank you, internet, for, you know, finding these things and like, doesn't make sense. Like, totally. Doesn't make sense. Anyway.